0: Welcome back to the Clone Star Podcast. I'm Sean Hurley, your host. And I am Sean Ferrick, your co-host. So today we're going to discuss the animated series, 1973 to 1974. Sean, at this point, Star Trek is dead in the water. Nothing has happened with it in a couple of years, but obviously there was always talk of the show coming back. For me well not just for me obviously for everybody the animated series really was kind of like the forgotten series for a long time like what I suppose this is the most bizarre question what's your memories of the show outside of me telling you we're going to do a podcast on it and you have to watch it
1: to be honest very very vague memories I do remember watching it as a kid they used to run it on Saturday mornings I think it was Um, I'm going to say BBC I tend to give them credit for pretty much everything Um, but I don't remember it well. I do remember the animation style, so that imagery has always stuck in my head. Um, As I often joke, I remember that scene from The Time Trap where you have the Enterprise, the Klingon ship together because I just thought it was bizarre (laughs) that the two ships were stuck to each other. So I always remember that. And, but that was about it. So, I mean, part of the research for this episode, the the ones that I've researched and presumably the ones, like we're going to be seeing more and more images and very, very few story notes, I have to say, have stuck in my head. And that sounds like such a damning review. It isn't. It just, as you say, it's just been brushed to the side, really, in terms of the franchise.
0: Like, I never, like, I, I'd i heard about it. And I remember years ago for Christmas, my mother got me. Oh, it's a kind of a, It was a magazine going through all the series and all that, and obviously there was a part of it on the animated series. And I like, "Oh my god!" Like animated adventures of the Enterprise. What's going on here? But of course, it's back four days to the interest and things like that. So I had no way to watch it. But I remember once, uh, one night, I was just looking at the old RTE guide, which you know, the TV or the, the TV guide here in Ireland. And I just look at BBC Two for, during the day when I was in school, there was 10 o'clock, uh, I think it was Wednesday or something, and it said Star Trek, and it was over 10.25, and I was there, what the hell? They are going. They couldn't be surely putting like break in an episode of the original series in two or something. So I set the video to record, I came home, turned it on, and I was there, oh my God, I said, this is actually a brand new episode of Star Trek I have never seen. And I was there going, I didn't even know the, who the voice actors were going to be, and then I was there, oh my God, there's William Shatner, there's Leonard Nimoy, there's the Forest Kelly. And I watched it, and like, as you said, look, it was early 70s. um, Filmation were the ones who did it, so like, it's extremely limited. And in a lot of the action sequences, it's kind of done from a point of view of all the characters are in silhouette. So it's basically just the black outline of the characters running, and you're going, yeah, that's an easy way to cut down on cost. When I was doing the... When I first got to know you, Sean, I wrote the article for um, for what Culture. I was I bought the the say the official guide to it, and it was an interesting reading this that Gene Roddenberry said that he said this is not to be a kids show. He said mm. this is to be Star Trek just in animated form. I do think even with the terrible animation, I do think you
1: definitely get a sense that it is still Star Trek. I absolutely agree. So that would be my prevailing thought coming out of this episode he says going into this episode Perfect. was that this is often called the kind of unofficial fourth season of star trek and i get it i mean this is star trek yes it looks a little bit different It's still all the familiar things are there and yes there is a bit of bit of a rough and ready but arguably no worse than season three of the original series and you know they had the room, because it's animation, they were able to do kind of more ambitious designs and projects that you can get away with when you're doing animation that you can't get away with when you have to figure out the physics of how do we get an actor to split into three. You and know? even
0: that, we we had a bit of a future kind of prediction as well as the first time we saw the holodeck as well it was in an episode of the animated series, That's and true. also. In um, installment 827 of why Leonard Nimoy is absolutely brilliant, (laughs) uh, when he was coming in to sign on board and all that, they weren't bringing back Nichelle Nichols or George Takei, and Nimoy put the foot down and said, yeah, that's not happening. They're coming on board because it's supposed to be Star Trek. It's supposed to be the essence of Star Trek. Now, unfortunately,
1: Walter Koenig... Had just rear-ended Leonard Nimoy and, uh, you know...
0: So in the end, because Kane couldn't star in it, they let him write an episode, which is called The Infinite Vulcan. And what is that connected to,
1: Lower Decks? That is connected to Season 2, Episode 2 of Lower Decks because of a cameo. But I don't want to say too much, just yet, show. Oh, interesting. Very Mm -hmm. good.
0: So, Sean, without further ado, we're going to let you pick your first episode. Actually, small bit of trivia. The very first episode is called Beyond the, Far, the Farthest Star. Did you pick that? Yes, I did. Well, we're going to discuss it now, unfortunately. Yes. <laughs> but what's one bit of trivia about this that it's not about the episode itself, but there's a interesting bit of trivia on this.
1: What do you think it is? I would imagine it had something to do with a Mr. Samuel A. Peoples and the fact that his one of his previous writing jobs had been the pilot of Star Trek. He wrote Where No Man Has Gone Before. Um, no, that wasn't a bit of trivia.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you, you said it so confidently. I was there going, right, he's on the ball here. He knows what I'm going with here. And then you oh. threw up Samuel Peebles. I said, oh, God, no, that's not what I was
1: going for at all. Rose, um, okay, that's interesting. Um, the plot is very similar to both Skin of Evil and Where No Man Has Gone Before. Um, we no, the- straight We have the idea of bouncing or slingshotting a starship. No,
0: no, unfortunately, none of that. All right, what is it then? It was the air date was September 8th, 1973. And why is September 8th so important to all of us?
1: Because that is Star Trek's birthday. Exactly.
0: So the animated series premiered. Seven years to the day after Jerusalem series premiere. Jesus, you're showing me out all this other trivia. <laughs> They're going, "Oh God!" I was there, I was there my, laughing like, "You know, what's that in comparison?
1: <laughs> what's that one bit of trivia?" Well, I've got these twelve. Which one do you want to go through? Yeah. Uh, but John, that was one per- I didn't have. So, well, that's oh, you good. didn't pick it. Oh, well, There we have. It. No, I, d- I did pick it, but I didn't have that piece of trivia. Um, all right, well.
0: Well, we're going to discuss beyond the of the star now. Anyway, so <laughs> I'm
1: going Grant. to let you work away. Right, cool. Yeah. So, um, beyond the of the star. Yes, we we get the new psychedelic '70s uh, intro music because they did not have the rights to the Alexander Courage music yep. going into this. So you will not hear, you know, dun, 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 dun. oh well, I, I can't finish that because we also don't have the rights to the Alexander <laughs> Courage music. Um, <laughs> We have, the crew of the Enterprise encounters a 300 million year old ship, because why not, Uh, in orbit around the Quester M17 Dead Star, which is important, put a pin in the word Quester. They detect a strange energy aboard the ship, and so naturally they beam over with these new cool life belts, which have never been mentioned before and will never be mentioned again, but that's not important. Mr. Because Scott,
0: why would you want to design and put in, you know, the artificial suit We you can just have a yellow outline around the characters saying absolutely. they're protected?
1: <laughs> of course, like, of course, yeah. So Spock and Kirk, McCoy and Scotty, they go over to the ship and they realize that this ship is basically something like a colony ship, but there's a lot of empty pods. And they're like, "Uh oh, this thing is enormous. It's a very insectoid type ship. The design was like episode one. No, no, no. We're here to play with animation. Because it's, yeah, you know, it's
0: The design it's, of the ship is class this is, yeah. The ship
1: looks brilliant It's quite far away as well from You know the, the coordinate the Almost if you like the boxy D7 and the Quite chunky Romulo of Freight Which are classics in their own right But this was aesthetically A million miles away from this And you um, get a
0: proper sense of scale then There's a you, lovely kind of shot of it And the Enterprise Inn is tiny right next to it Pulling up alongside it
1: Yeah uh, um, Now, we have, because you need a little bit of uh, threat, they detect there is something on board. So they're like, right, beam us back, and this evil entity beams back with them and then takes over the Enterprise because that's what it takes about three seconds to take over the Enterprise computer. (laughs) And so Kirk tricks it by setting a collision course with the planet, and the the thing books it out of there, and he just slingshots around it, and that's the end. That's the beauty of the animated series. That's the episode, right? That's the 20-minute episode, right? That's how quick it is. so you might be going like, but where's the rest of the episode? No, they managed to do these bite-sized chunks of Star Trek. And actually, funnily enough, this has, for a, for a pilot, it's really one of the most straightforward. Like it, this is there is only an A plot. There's no B plot in this episode.
0: Oh yeah, no no room for B plots yeah. in these episodes
1: at all. Like no, it just it's an absolute. Uh, to quote my old writing teacher, it's uh, someone loads the arrow in the bow and fires. And That's it. You just all you're doing is far, firing I realized that the bow thing is a very very old thing, but I, he told it to me. So i quoting him. Um, but this it's a, was, but it's, a perp- yeah. it's a perfectly serviceable episode of the original series
0: as well. Like you could easily have seen this being, you know, an episode of, say, season
1: three of the the original series itself. Well, absolutely. Well, funny enough, right? So the resolution is basically this monster, which is never really defined, it's just baddie, uh, is jettisoned out and is sort of trapped in an inhospitable environment, like they plan to do with Gary Mitchell. So, you know, you've got Samuel A. Peoples coming back, who wrote Where No Man Has Gone Before, wrote this as well, and basically ended the episode the same way more or less there's a, there's a couple of changes of course uh, but it work it's it's simple and he did for the animated series arguably what he did well well yeah what he did for the original series when the cage still a crime but when the cage was considered not a successful pilot he came back and wrote them a successful pilot and it was much less cerebral more action parts this is more actiony there's much less cerebral stuff going on um oh, yeah. but we do have a couple of cool little bits right so in this one gene roddenberry basically set out his mission statement with this episode and of course the the anime series as a whole was let's do something big this became the ship right so let's let's show them what we can do with animation because for better or for worse the animated series will get a little bit of flack for there is some inconsistencies you know colour changes in uniforms, things like oh that.
0: yeah that's that's everywhere crap <laughs> the episodes I have a few I have a few notes on
1: that for one of my episodes later on. And it so there is it's it's by far from a perfectly animated show. But what they did is they, they swung. They swung wide and I arguably this is a, a good first episode. The pacing is not great in this episode. Like if this if this was to come out today you now it's it probably wouldn't get, get slaughtered the pilot. Like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but funnily enough uh la times critic cecil smith wrote that he watched this and he said the words that would have made gene roddenberry cry with happiness he went this is not a kid's show so even though it was this animation it was a saturday morning thing. it did exactly what roddenberry wanted so that it didn't want to just make a children's cartoon we want to make a star trek episode and this reviewer, now whether it was a positive or a negative, he was like, This is not a kid's show. So yeah, no fist I, pumping in the air. Like
0: as you watch the episodes as we go through them, there's none of these episodes really, I'd say if you show it to a kid, it can be like, Oh, this is pretty cool. Like it's very much like it's it 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 is aimed at a bit of an older audience, like it really is like. Just actually, strangely, as you're mentioning episodes that this reminds you of, I'm just realizing that this reminds me a lot of uh, Booby Trap from the third season of The Next Generation in terms of they find a derelict ship and the captain gets a recorded message from the other ship's captain basically warning that effectively
1: this is the ship of doom and to get the hell away from there as quickly as possible. Yeah, that's yeah, I see it because um, you're dead right, there is, there's an old recording on this of, you know, we all basically killed ourselves to make sure that this bugger stuck on the ship won't get anywhere, and if you're watching yeah. this, ah. lol um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm paraphrasing slightly um, uh, So someone else had likened it to uh, leaving Armas abandoned on Vagra 2 at the yes. end of Skin of Evil and I was like, well, yeah. stars, we're out of here um, there's a nice little bit of continuity without continuity in this so, you mentioned, of course, that Nichelle Nichols and George Decay were brought back to do voices. But basically, if your name wasn't George Takei, Nichelle Nichols, Majel Barrett, William Shatner, DeForest Kelly, or Leonard Nimoy, then you were voiced by Jimmy Doohan.
0: Jimmy so, Doohan voiced absolutely everybody.
1: Absolutely everybody else. So, a returning character from the original series is Mr. Yes. Kyle. Yes, and voiced by Jimmy Doohan in this and a little bit of continuity is so the lack of continuity is that it was James Dewan in this one the continuity is that he's grown a moustache and the next time we see him in Star Trek 2 he's got a goatee <laughs> and Kyle's on board the, the, the Reliant <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there we go that is, that is one of the coolest things I could pick out I'm by no means late in the episode it is perfectly fine it's a bit slow uh, but it's a good start and there's a, a nice bit of interest there. But that kind of does me for beyond the first star. <laughs> so, show, what's your first episode that we're going to discuss?
0: Uh, see, that thing with the animated series, you can you, you can basically recite, you can very tell, because like me and you have discussed this, we did the original series. One of the things we struggled with was actually condensing the episode yeah. into a quick kind of minute of a description, which we by and large failed to do. Direct, Meanwhile, oh, the, we were awful at it, yeah. Yeah, it was very, very bad. And with this then, it's almost like, Jesus, how do I get past sentence one (laughs) explaining this episode? Chip, go, boom. Um, Okay, next. This episode is um, probably the episode that the animated series is most remembered for, and it has a lot of impact in later Star Trek as well. So it's actually episode two of the animated series, straight after your episode, which is Yesteryear. Ah, yes, Um which was written by DC Fontana, who, of course, had written Journey to Babel as well. So, Yesteryear is a Spock-centric episode. Um, of course, being huge fans of Mr. Spock here, um, we're always going to enjoy an episode like that. So, effectively, the Enterprise or, sorry, the Enterprise is at the Guardian of Forever's Planet, because, of course, why not? And there are now, um, uh, say, there's actually historians using the Guardian of Forever to look at uh incidents from history um actually strange enough the next generation book imzadi deals with there's actually a federation um say base on the same planet as well and they do the exact oh. same thing so there we go and if you didn't know that there you had it so anyway i'm um, kirk spock and ensign ricky are on the- <laughs> <laughs> sorry i wasn't ready for that very good <laughs> so uh- Look, by and large, I'm always going to say Ensign Ricky. If I can't, if, if, the, if the person doesn't have a name, they're going to call Ensign Ricky for the episode. <laughs> um, they've been back in time looking at Orion at the dawn of its civilization. all this kind of thing, that's fine. They come out of the Guardian forever, um, but nobody has a clue who the hell Mr. Spock is. Mr. Spock, does not make sense to anybody? And to get back to the Enterprise. It turns out that Kirk has a different first officer, an Andorian, of course, which you um, nobody can see. Of course, you've got the little Andorian headset on your head there. Absolutely. Um, Thalen has replaced uh, Spock as first officer. Nobody has a record of who Spock is. So it turns out that while the while Kirk, Spock, and Ensign Ricky were in the past, um, the historians were viewing Vulcan history and. Basically, long and short of it, Spock actually had saved himself when he was younger. Um, Spock was undergoing a, a trial called the COS-1. Basically, a maturity test, and he was attacked in the desert, and his cousin saved him. But it turns out it was actually he himself in the future that saved uh, himself. But as he was in the past in Orion, while they were playing back Vulcan history, he couldn't have been in two places at once. Time travel makes no sense, and it doesn't make sense in this episode. So basically, Spock is dead. So what happens to happen now is Spock has to go back in time. And he has to basically play the role of his cousin that he himself as a younger person had experienced all that kind of thing. So it's just your standard um, kind of episode. Um, in the end, what happens is Spock didn't actually do the uh, he didn't do the volume maturity test. He actually just went out to try and do it himself first before the actual test. And he got into trouble. And what happened was his pet, Seloth, which was mentioned in Journey to Babel, um, saves his life. But unfortunately, Saylot is killed, which is not what happened the first time around. I thought it was actually interesting that they were willing to kind of make such a kind of a you know bold kind of move in terms of actually committing to killing a pet on a children's TV show. But what's interesting about this episode is that we have Sarek and Amanda are in the episode with young Spock and Sarek is voiced, not by James Doohan, strange enough. By Mark Leonard. So Mark Leonard actually came back and voiced the character of Sarek for the episode. Major Barrett, of course, did voice Amanda Grayson, of course, so there was absolutely no doubt about that. And of course, James Doohan voiced the guardian of forever, Tale in the Vulcan healer, <laughs> the Federation historian Ali Arm, because why not? Um, if you actually watch um the Star Trek 2009 movie, there's a couple of scenes taken from this episode and are actually straight into start to go nine. I remember when I was watching start to go nine for the first time and it showed Spock doing the, you know, young Spock doing the test in the little cubicles. Mm-hmm. I remember thinking to myself going, I said, Jesus, will they take exactly from the animated series, the next scene? And they did. And it was exactly, it was almost the same. In, the, in this episode, Spock is bullied by three kids and in start to go nine, bullied by three kids. And the kids are there going, you're, you're human your father has brought shame to Vulcan. If you actually look at the scenes side by side, they play off really well against each other. So it's, okay. it's almost lifted directly out, which I was really kind of you know happy with. And in Star Trek: 9, of course, and the same with yesteryear, um, Spock and Sarek have a conversation about you, you're, you're reaching an age where you've got to decide if you're going to follow the human or the Vulcan philosophy like so. Again, while we discussed that this you know there's a lot of stuff to forget about the show there are certain things especially in this episode here, that really kind of travel throughout Star Trek history and especially inform them the characters and things like that. Um,
1: there's Not a lot speak, of there's... but just a question about yes. yesterday that's just popped into my head. Does this come up again quite a bit in Enterprise with the Forge
0: yes, trilogy? Vulcan's Forge, yes. Yeah. If you actually look at some of the designs of the Vulcan cities you see in um in in Enterprise, they match what Spock's uh, city looks like in this episode as well like so oh, it's really cool. kind of it's, yeah, it's really kind of cool that they went back and actually took it. But, like, definitely if you get a chance, look, just if you're going to watch any episode, just watch this one. Uh, but watch this, watch the, those episodes of Enterprise, watch Article 9, just see how much this is taken directly from it. But even at that, there's a great conversation between young Spock and older Spock, and they talk about emotions and things like that. Again, we discussed a million times the importance of the character of Spock and informing about the human condition and things like that. And this episode didn't even skimp on it. It 100% just went in and said, yeah, we're still going to kind of do that kind of thing. There was one thing as I was watching it. And I, it, I was just I was just thinking of something in The Simpsons as well. Um, at the end of the... So in the episode, right, young Spock has not mastered the neck pinch, okay? Okay. At the end of the episode, older Spock has shown younger Spock how to do it. And younger Spock is leaving is going out of the house and Sarah calls him, Hey, where are you going? And he says, I'm going out to show my classmates uh, you know the, the the correct use of the Vulcan neck pinch. But then I was thinking to myself, going, wait a second, he's on Vulcan. And so going, would they still call it the Vulcan neck pinch? That's Vulcan that's how that's
1: arrogant so? Vulcans are. They're like, you know, if you can get the word Vulcan into every sentence, you're supposed to do it at least twice
0: all i could think of was the episode the simpsons when homer is kidnapped when he's down in brazil and uh he says to them do you guys call them brazil nuts down here and one of the kidnappers go no no just call them nuts (laughs) we're in brazil they're just called nuts i was just thinking of that um like there's i'm again just to carry on the theme from the original series like at the end of the episode when everything is sorted out there's um they've been back up and it's great interplay. McCoy is waiting from the transporter room and he's just pissed off at them straight away. And he's there going, I've done all the annual crew physicals. Yours is the last, Spock. Where are you? Let's just get this going. Again, we, we discussed a few times uh, when we were discussing the original series, there were scenes in it that didn't need to be in it at all for no reason. Mm. And it was just cool dialogue. And this is a perfect example of that. It's it's bloody brilliant and hilarious. Last thing I have to say, again, it ties back to The Simpsons. When I was watching the episode for the very first time, like, you're watching it. There's a mystery: where the hell is? Why isn't Spock alive in this in in the time period? And all this kind of thing. And um there's a scene with the new first officer, tailing, and it just he's just sitting, at, you know, observation the deck, and he's chatting away, or whatever. A few seconds later, there's a there's a tight kind of pull in on his on his face, right? And then this kind of you know the very kind of suspenseful music the animated series has. And what does he do? Of course, the eyes go from side to side, right? <laughs> it's they're going. You only do that if the character is shady and probably Absolutely. doing something wrong. Like the dog just...
1: in The Simpsons. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. <laughs> and just, when I was actually going, ooh, he's bad. Like, what's he done now? Turns out he was actually grand. There was nothing wrong.
1: <laughs> so do you what i was saying? Poor Thalen now. That you can add Thalen to the list of first officers who've been screwed over by Spock. That's um, Matt Decker. No, uh, Will Decker, uh, Thalen, yeah. and Zon. Yeah. Have all been done out of jobs by Spock.
0: You have to start the list now about this, um, yeah. exactly this, and say, hang on a second, this is outrageous stuff. But um, look, in terms of watching an episode, like this, this is the episode to watch, this is brilliant. Um, Nimoy's excellent in it, Sarek is very good in it. Just the ideas behind it and things like that, um, what they've got. Absolutely, hundred percent. Go with it. I would definitely watch it if only for Palin and his uh, shifty eyebrows looking on the play. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> what was great about the animated series music as well is like they had it only about four bits of music and that was in they Just reused it over and over and over again. Like
1: don't you don't you roll your eyes? <laughs> now,
0: always... Sean, I that is my first pick. What is your second pick?
1: Well, my second pit, we're going to we're going to stay on the theme of not exactly time travel, but time fun. We're going to go to the time trap. Mm. Uh, So this is the infamous episode So anyone who will have seen a particular tweet that I put out this evening. There is an image that has stayed with me forever when thinking about the animated series. And it's the image of the Enterprise docked with a Klingon D7 battlecruiser by basically just sitting on top of it and I always thought that was a hilarious image as a kid and it's always stuck with me and that's this is the episode that it's from so yep. the Enterprise has been tasked with effectively researching the Delta Triangle which is a complete it's not even an opaque reference to the Bermuda Triangle they say like mm-hmm. oh things go missing here all the time and it's our job to like whoops we're in uh, so you know the Klingon battlecruiser uh, Clothus. Captained by Commander Core, yeah. Uh rocks up and starts firing phasers at it because of course it does, and then suddenly it disappears. Uh the enterprise is a bit like hush. Brah! And uh, you know, two other Klingon of cruises rock up and go, Hey, where's our ship? And they're like, know bruh. So, you know, they start firing, and the enterprise fires back, and then the enterprise finds out where the clothes pl- went because it too falls into this time, time trap trap. Wey. Now it was—it's described as a Sargasso Sea, which I will come back to because I googled it and that's really interesting. But it's described as this, and they—they're basically in a graveyard of ships, and yes. we see what was apparently there because there is a continuity issue here. So apparently, the first warp-capable ship, the Bonaventure, is sitting there, yes. and it's basically. Oh, It's like somebody got a putty version of the Enterprise and kind of squished it and shortened it and lengthened it a little bit. Uh, It's since had a beautiful redesign, the Bonaventure, uh, to look a bit more like the NXO-1. But this is the original appearance of it. We also have, if you keep your eyes peeled, there's a couple of Antares-class ships in there as well. And there's also a whole litany of other ships, which are all refused designs for the insectoid ship from beyond the Farthest Star. So there was all these designs that were like, you know, now that it's work, chuck it into that scene. Chuck it in, chuck it in, chuck it in. Anyway, they find the Clothos, and Kor is not particularly happy. And so they're about to come to Fisticros, and suddenly Kirk and Kor vanish off the two ships. And they are brought before the Council of Elysia. So that's what this area is called. It's Elysia, right? And this council has been been put together from the various crews of these ships that have been stuck in there. And it's actually, it's basically, it's a continuity freak's wet dream. You've got Romulans, you've got Orions, Uh you've got Andorians, you've got an early version of a Kazinti. I don't think they're actually named in the episode, but there is one there. And And you're a a bit of of an
0: insectoid as well, actually.
1: You do indeed. And a couple of humanoids as well. So there's a nice kind of smorgasbord of what, you know, kind of the various races that have been introduced and sort of, I suppose, teasers for what was coming as well in Star Trek. Now, The council is is having absolutely none of shooting any kind of weapons in their space. So they make it very, very clear to both Kor and Kirk that the conduct of your crews falls on the commander of those ships, which is, of course, a huge plot point that is revisited in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, when Kirk is on trial for the assassination of Gorkin. Uh, Kor being Kor, he's like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. But what about a bomb? So because they're thinking that Macy, Spock and the the Enterprise are like, well, if we were to combine our engines with the engines of the Klingon ship, which is where we get our beautiful image from, we would be able to, because there is a failed attempt, sorry, by the Klothos to escape. And anyway, they they don't get out. But Spock goes, "Mm, actually, if I steal your idea and make it better, I think I can make this work. And so they do that. They tie in navigation and warp drive. And the Klingons have decided that, yeah, we'll all escape together. Then we will destroy them and take credit for escaping this place. You know, and then we will get the glory of how uh, we escaped the Delta Triangle. Now, the Council of Alicia have since gained telepathic powers, because of course they have. And they are able to warn Spock and Scotty that actually there's a bomb on your engines. Now, we can't stop you. They've already started moving, so they can't stop that. But they're, anyway, they fire the bomb. They chuck the bomb out of space and the enterprise starts warping away, but they do escape. And then the next thing they hear is chorus broadcasting to the entire quadrant. Oh, I got us out of here and everything's wonderful and everything. And Kirk just goes, listen, let him have it. We're home. And that's the episode, right? So. What What? what a wonderful abrupt ending, isn't it? It's, <laughs> it's, it's, isn't it so like, you know, we're home. Yeah, we're, <laughs> wow. that's, we, we've run out of time. Like, just, just end of that thing. That's, Stop that's, and that's dialogue, pretty much over. it. Yeah. So if you animate one more cell, I have to pay you a weekend rate. Stop right now. Um, right. It sounds so, like,
0: like, when you talk about this episode,
1: it sounds like the Voyager episode, the void, doesn't it? I, I would imagine, I'd, have to, I'd say if we were to go and Memory Alpha, the void, it would say drew inspiration from, because it has yeah. to have, because you're right. It's, it's almost identical in terms of they fall into a thing they can't get out of on their own.
0: Yeah, and that's you know, work with other people as well. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, the writer for this, Joyce Perry, um, she was basically, well, she was wetting herself, thinking there's no way Gene Roddenberry's going to take this seriously. There's no way I have the Enterprise sitting on top of the Klingon D7 bottle, he's going to laugh at me. And apparently, he went quiet for about 30 <laughs> seconds and she said it was so tense. And he went, Yeah, sounds good, do that. And she was like, Oh, thank god. So that's where we got the the, the the joint ship from. So this Sargasso Sea, the thing I mentioned, I thought that I like that phrase. I'm going to Google that because I remember hmm. at some point in my schooling, um, why Sargasso Sea was on the reading list and I have no memory of it. I know a child goes blinded, That's about it. Um, so I went and read So it is an area of the Atlantic Ocean that is bordered by four opposing currents. Hmm. So it has this air of mystery about it that apparently it's, Completely clear, like you can see down to about 60 meters of depth that the water is so clear, but that it has got this absolute mythology that oh, your ship's doomed, you're doomed for centuries if you get in there, you're never getting out. Uh, obviously, this is long before we ever thought to use turbines, um, <laughs> things like that. So it has that reputation. So funny, a bit this this idea of if you go in, you don't come out, and that's where they got the idea from. Hmm. Um, which I thought was a lovely description. Now, this is, this is an important Klingon episode for two reasons, right? One uh-huh. being in the character of Kor, who, sorry, John Kalikos, but Jimmy doan has got it. But in the character of Kor, he commands the IKS Clothos, which was made, because obviously animated series has an interesting relationship with canon, canon in Star Trek, yep. but it was made canon in <clears throat> Star Trek Deep Space Nine. When Kor yep. came back, they talk about the Clothos, So, nope. This happened. This happened. This, this, is, this is now a thing. And it is also, Enterprise
0: did connect down to the Klothos. Yes, that is right. We need to see it in Canada at some
1: point now. Bloody right we do. Yeah, give us it in Discovery graphics. I, I will happily take that, yeah? <laughs> the other thing is that this is the final appearance of the TOS smooth-headed Klingons until Trials and Tribulations. Oh, I'm there for you. There you have it. Because the next time the Klingons appear was in Star Trek, the motion picture. And of
0: course, yes, that's right. The, uh,
1: and they're back to having the the foreheads. Okay. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So I just thought that was a nice interesting point of this one because I was in my head, I just assumed the Klingons were in every other episode of the anime series. They weren't at all. No, um, Klingons were
0: sparingly used all right, in the animated series. But I suppose... Mm-hmm. They could, they could kind of bring in different aliens if they wanted because of the fact that the animation was about, you know, five cents worth. Of that.
1: Well, that's true. I mean, I, I, I was reading this thing, right? And it was right. like, oh, yes. Um, oh, I've, I've actually forgotten his name now. But yes, you know, the lead of the council who was a Romulan. It's like, well, you could have fooled me, mate. <laughs> uh, but I suppose in fairness, original series Romulans were just Vulcans.
0: Basically, yes,
1: the yeah. exact same. There was no difference. Um, so yes, so that is my second episode What do you have for your second episode? Um, my second episode I always actually
0: really enjoyed this This episode, I always found that In certain scenes, the music really tied in well With what you were watching Instead of in all the other episodes It was just kind of shoehorned in And never really worked too well um, My second episode is called The Survivor um, I always like this episode I, I, Like I know, I've read a couple of reviews of it since i've you know loved it over the years and people aren't too mad about it but screw them i think it's great um <laughs> so the enterprise comes across a uh, basically a damaged vessel um there's a guy on board called carter winston he's a philanthropist and he's someone who uses fortunes many many times over to basically uh, help people who need it including and this is i'm not don't think this is Canon McCoy's daughter is referenced here she was going to uh, school yes. on, a, on, on a planet and Joanna. She, Joanna that's right yeah yeah and Carter Winston used his um, his money to basically you know help out um of course as you know what's the word I'm looking for not logic as coincidence would have it um, his fiance is on board the enterprise as a security officer. Um, because of course, that's exactly what she'd be doing if he was completely rich, and she wouldn't be off, you know, in the galaxy helping him at all. She'd be a security officer in the enterprise, so that's fine. So she, he's completely shocked to see her and all that, and she kind of wants to kind of, you know, try and resurrect what's going on. But there's something weird about him; he doesn't seem right um, when he goes for his medical. There's something not right with the whole thing. Turns out, of course, uh, he is in fact dead, and what is on the Enterprise is a Vendorian. A Vendorian is a changeling. Ah,
1: yes!
0: So, what happens, of course, is that the Vendorian takes out Captain Kirk, replaces Kirk, sends the Enterprise on a mission into the neutral zone, which of course then would immediately mean that the Enterprise is in violation of treaty and can be impounded by the Romulans if they're, in, if they're caught, which of course they are. So... They tried to basically capture the Vendorian, but they're dealing with the Romulans at the same time. Uh, In the end, of course, a speech is given to the Vendorian, who decides he's going to help the Enterprise, and the Enterprise manages to escape, as always happens, and the Enterprise is gone and everything like that. Um, I always liked the episode, just from the point of view of, it didn't didn't (laughs) necessarily... I suppose does this episode have a bit of a B story in it as well? Because you've got the main story of the Vendorian trying to get the Enterprise captured by the Romulans, and then you have the B story of um, Winston and his and his uh, fiance and Nord. Um Like as we discussed a few times, like it's always nice to see episodes that don't necessarily just focus on the main kind of on the main kind of crew themselves. Um, the there are some scenes in this with the Vendorian. The Vendorian design is bloody cool. Like this is again a perfect example of where animation works because like it doesn't really have a body. It just has a lot of tentacles yeah. and things like that in it. There's some again. There's some really good bits of dialogue in it. And um, at one point, Kirk and uh, Spock go see Dr. McCoy to get the results of Winston's uh, checkup. At this point now, Winston has replaced um, McCoy. And when they go in to talk to McCoy, McCoy, they say, look, have you, could you have made a mistake here? And McCoy goes, yeah, could have, maybe so. Yeah, look, I'll, I'll run it again if you want. The next scene is Kirk and Spock in the corridor. For years, I didn't actually get the joke. And it was there, Spock says to Kirk, says, did you find Dr. McCoy was acting a bit weird there? And Kirk says, yeah, you're right. When I asked him if he thought he made a mistake, he said, you know, basically he might have. And he'd run the reports again. And then Kirk says, that's not like bones at all didn't realize for years that obviously if you'd said that dr mccoy he would have gone absolutely ape at them for even making such a such a suggestion the Vendorian character is cool as well because he's kind of you know i like the fact that the motivation behind him is he kind of says that his people are non-producers they're effectively useless and that the romulans offered him you know a bit of a life you know something of value to actually have in his life although unfortunately that would have meant basically the destruction of the enterprise um it's kind of a bit hokey in terms of as well of that like if you t- if Vendorian takes on someone's form they pick up their you know their emotions their memories and all this kind of thing kind of they're going that's a bit even for this this is far bloody fit because you're there going you can't really do that but the most the, the hilarious thing of all I find is that in the end <clears throat> with the Enterprise the shield's down the a shield comes up between Enterprise and the Romulan ship that basically saves the day and they say, like, you know, if the Vendorian can change himself and into anything, it's possible he could have changed himself into a deflector shield. And they're going, hang on a second here now. Changing into Captain Kirk, changing into a sickbay biobed, and changing into a goddamn deflector shield are hugely different things.
1: Do you think, do you think that James Cameron was actually watching this episode? Because if you remember <laughs> from Terminator 2, Judgment Day, and... John Connor's just like, no way. So he could like turn himself and like pack cigarettes or something. No, he can only transform into something of equal mass.
0: That's exactly what happened. I definitely think I, that. I think, I think you've nailed it right there now.
1: <laughs> I'm telling you.
0: And strange if this episode ends just like <laughs> yesterday, ended with a good bit of Spock McCoy barbing again. Um, when... After they've caught him at the end of the episode, Kirk McCoy comes up to the bridge and he says, oh, my God, you caught him. And um, he says to Kirk, he says, you know, if he turned into a second Spock, he said it would have been too much to take. And Spock says, yes, but if you tend change into the, a, a second Dr. McCoy, it might have brought the medical efficiency on the ship up to acceptable standards. I think, it's a, I think it's a brilliant line. Again, it's this is where it's you'd have to watch the original series to have gotten that joke. Again, this is another perfect example of where, you know, this is a continuation of the original series rather than just it's kind of on
1: standalone thing. So, Sean, that's my second pick. What is your third? Um, now, so this is where earlier on I said put a pin in that one. My third pick is the Infinite Vulcan. Oh, yes. Written by so... our good friend, Walter Koenig. Yes, exactly, and funny enough, when I picked this episode, I actually didn't realise that, so that was a happy bonus, so that means I have stuff to talk about from there as well. But, yeah. Right, so, quickly, right, the plot of this episode is, they go to a new planet, Sulu picks yep. up a plant and gets poisoned. Uh, yes. I'm pretty sure Shatner played a part in that uh, story. <laughs> um, so... Now they he they are welcomed by the inhabitants, the phylogians, the planet is Phylos, and he is given a cure by Agmar. And Agmar, you know, right. they, you know, they quickly go, like, so you guys are talking plants. How do you have a humanoid cure for this? And they say, Oh, well, sure, listen, the plague was actually brought by a human who stayed around to help us cure it. And they are now a dying race. There's only five of them left, and yep. they're all sterile. Uh, which reminded me, or well, obviously this came way first, reminded me of the Asgard in Stargate, that they are a okay. sterile race. You know, they, you know, they were able to be saved with cloning. That was just popped into my head. Now, it turns out that Spock is kidnapped by some bat-like creatures. And yes. they're all like, whoa, praise the master. And Kirk's like, I'd rather you didn't. And I'd rather you helped us get Spock back. And they're like, "But, but praise the master, though. I I don't see a problem. (laughs) Um, So it turns out the master is Dr. Stavos Keniclius? Keniclius. Keniclius, yeah, I can never pronounce that. Uh, Not one, two, three, or four, but five. Mm. And he is hanging around on the planet. Now, he's the size of a house, which is odd for a humanoid. And turns out, so they they find out a bit about him, and he is... uh, He's an outcast of the Eugenics Wars, yes. which, of course, was introduced in Space Seed. So there's your original series crossover, first of all. What, would... he is, what he is what doing is he is basically looking for the perfect organisms that would help basically impose peace on the galaxy. Uh, so he's like, oh, well, Spock will do. Spare you so he clones Spock. And we get, which I think is a rather <laughs> iconic image of giant Spock. So we have giant <laughs> Spock. So, giant Spock is basically still forming, so his brain is still kind of coming together. So Kirk yes. actually logics him into seeing that, well, hang on, imposing peace on the galaxy, probably not very Vulcan of me. And they're able to kind of wrap up the episode with, he elects to stay behind, they save Spock, who is dying because of this transfer, they basically got like, yeah, no, it's fine. Basically, how <laughs> it's resolved. And he stays behind on the planet, they're going to say, try and save the Phylogians, and away they got Spock too, he's called. Actually, anything,
0: ju- just realising, the end of this episode is basically the end of How Sharper Than a Serpent's Tooth in terms of, you've got a kind of an antagonist who kind of feels that humanity has become too brutal and too violent, and then the the, the, the you know the ending discussion is, no, we haven't. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> actually,
1: li- no. That's literally, basically Kirk uses Eidic to prove that, no, we have actually come further along. And, and... Yeah. And again, this is something that when we were talking about the original series that I I really feel sometimes like I have my soapbox ready beside me to go. Actually, the bad rep that the original original series has become a bit of an easy punching bag for things like acting and effects and everything. But some of the ideas and here in this episode, some of the ideas are so about praising how good humanity can be, what we can do. You know, yep. when we set our minds to it. Um, and even there's no villain per se in this episode. It's all people who are trying. Now there's trying to make things better the can way. And there's trying to make <laughs> things better the caniclius way. Um, there's, and-
0: yeah, the, the, there's a very misguided kind of uh, thing that happens a lot in Saritic. But I think it's misguided from a point of view. It gives Kirk an opportunity to give an impassioned speech about where humanity is and acknowledging
1: where it's come from. Yeah. And listen, Shatner is iconic because he delivers those speeches well. He's very different. I think the the great argument, oh, who's better, Kirk or Picard? Yes, they both give amazing speeches. Picards are always, within reason, much more measured and quiet. And, you know, so that when you have the outbursts, they really stand out looking at you, start first contact. Whereas Kirk generally went at a slightly higher pace, but it doesn't mean he was always chewing the scenery.
0: But I think as well with Kirk, a lot of the times he's given speeches, he's basically, you know, it's down to the last moment kind of situation yeah. whereby like the Enterprise is on the verge of being destroyed or Spock is about to die and all this kind of thing. And that's, that's yeah. totally different. Picard, Picard's speeches, while absolutely brilliant, they're delivered much more in a kind of like almost a courtroom setting kind of situation, whereas Kirk yeah. is, is nearly life and death on the in the balance kind of
1: speeches. That's it, exactly. Like you don't, when you're, you know, when you're facing off against Khan and you're like, you know, we need the prefix code. You don't have time to talk about when the first rights of any person are curtailed. The first link is forged in the chain of, right. It's an amazing speech, but time and a place, time and a place. I so, imagine, imagine if
0: Kirk started doing that, Khan of the air going, Blown him out of the sky. To, I think he's trying to buy time here for some
1: reason. am not too sure why. Yeah. Why is he still talking? Yeah. <laughs> Commander Krug is just like, well, you used your two minutes badly, didn't you? So, but like you, you, like like
0: outside of the obvious in this, in terms of why did he make a giant Spock? Could he not have just cloned like fifty smaller Spocks and sent fifty Spocks out into the galaxy instead of like what? Would you
1: would you rather fight one giant size Spock or fifty regular (laughs) size Spocks? Come on now, that's that's the that's the thing. But if you're trying to spread
0: all this philosophy out to the galaxy, you're kind of there going, uh, do you really want to send an imposing 80-foot-tall Vulcan to do the job, or should I just send, you know, 50 of the lads around the galaxy? I'd be able to spread myself a lot easier, like...
1: Ah, <laughs> uh, I tell you, I tell you, I don't know. Well, we'll have to talk to the uh, episode's writer, who is, as you say, Walter Koenig. So, uh, like, a conspicuously missing voice from the, the animated series is Walter Koenig. There is no of in the animated series and yeah it is and there is there is bad blood behind it but so Susan Sackett who is a recep who was a receptionist sorry working with Gene Roddenberry had become yes. aware of the fact that Walter koenig was writing a screenplay now this was during the planning stages of the animated series right so mm-hmm. this is you know so there it, there was seemingly there was never a consideration really for Chekhov to be in the show but from the earliest days they were like well actually Walter Koenig can still be involved, but it will be in a writing capacity, mm. and and so they did. And so she brought the idea to Roddenberry. And now, in a way, I think Koenig says this himself. But you nearly want to say any single writer who ever brought something to Roddenberry, don't take it personally when he cuts it to ribbons, because that's what Gene Roddenberry did. It said there yep. was was minimum five, six, seven rewrites on any script, and Keneally. Now the number has varied a couple of times in different retellings of it but it sounds like there was a minimum of 10 rewrites on this script and by the time it actually got to you know got, got to the, the actual well, filming for want of a better word it was a bit like yeah for the love of gosh do you want it or not like <laughs> and and so they got and he, and he managed to, he, was, he was able to kind of sneak in a couple of things the, the living plant that poisons Sulu is called Retlaw which is Walter backwards Walk
0: backwards. Yeah. Um,
1: and he said he got the idea pretty much. He was watching the news and cloning was kind of big in the news at the time. And if you think about it, a lot of seventies sci-fi explored that idea. I am thinking very much say Logan's run and yes. um, things like that. Um, and of course then any other examples right out of my mind, but I'm sure there's so many straight in my mind. No, there's no, not another thing of cloning. There's no cloning at all in sci-fi in seventies show. You're wrong. Um <laughs> what he did, he he, Koenig, he described the rewriting process as his word was hideous. Yes. That while, while he was happy with the end result, he said he did not enjoy the process. he said, but there was something else which seriously pissed him off. Is that he auditioned to voice Caniclius in it? He was like, Well, can I be in it? And so he was given an audition. And he subsequently said, like, you know, the whole thing was lip service. They were never ever considering him to do a voice in the episodes. They just kind of went shut him up by giving him an audition.
0: And of uh, course, the role went to James dugan
1: Because why? Because he was on the payroll. <laughs> you know, and and he was, he was incredibly pissed off about that, to the point where he was asked to come back and write another one. He said no. Yeah. So the next, the next uh." engagement that he had with trek was the motion picture picture um so ah. there was so yeah it was kind of it was bad blood behind the scenes there was two things in this script which are quite important to trekkies uh one is that it solidified the fact that the federation was founded in the 22nd century so that was said in dialogue in this episode so that was then obviously yeah. depicted in enterprise Except, no, it wasn't, because the episode in which that was depicted never happened. Um, Correct. Anyway, the other one is that this is, it's the second, actually now, I failed in my research because the second appearance of almost this phrase comes in this episode. And I can't remember what the first one was. They almost say, beam me up, Scotty, in this one. But they don't. They say, beam us up, Scotty. It's, it's still never said on screen. Now, you're right. looking at me with an eyebrow that's hit the scene in there. Do you know when the first one is? Because I don't. No, I don't, actually. So I, I
0: actually think I read that bit of trivia somewhere. But I can't remember. I, like, it's never been said. Yeah, it's, it's been
1: closed on never, said, but it's never actually been yeah. said. And even the joke is carried into the uh, the Kelvin films as well. They almost say it. <laughs> you know, which, which I love. I, I love, it. And I hope. I honestly hope it's never said or... If there is some sort of horrible universe where Star Trek is banned forever and there's going to be a last episode, and that's it. It's never going to come back. The last words should be, beam me up, Scotty. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so that's my infinite point. Now, actually, sorry, that's, that's not my last one. My last point is the reason I had to pick this episode is because a recent episode of Lower Decks has portrayed a very grim fate for one of the characters in this episode. Because in Lower Decks season two, in the museum, the skeletal corpse of Spock 2 is hanging from the ceiling with tattered remains of his uniform still on him. It's grim, Joseph. <laughs>
0: What an awful end to such a lovely character, considering the send off he got in Star Trek Beyond. Here <laughs> we're going to go back. Sorry, the other one's not dead. But we're going to kill him off and just have a skeleton reins there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Any Nimoy Spock is not allowed to survive. <laughs> anyway, on that happy, happy note, what's your next episode, Joe? Um, my next episode is actually one of the. First of the two
0: episodes, I think I ever actually saw the original or the animated series. My apologies. It's called, I always get this wrong, The Lorelei Signal. That's how I would pronounce it as well. Yes, good. I was glad to hear that because I was looking at you to see what what the crack was. This is obviously based on the old tale of kind of um, sea captains being kind of uh, taken off course by, you know, singing female sirens who kind of, you know, tempt you away off into rocks and all that. So joint discussions between the Romulans and the Klingons have uh, evidence that certain ships disappear in a certain sector of space every 26.346 star years. So Enterprise goes to investigate as they go there. uh, They receive a transmission, which for some bizarre reason they keep on playing over the speakers the entire time, despite the fact that all the men on the Enterprise are getting distracted and they're pulled towards this planet. That's fine. They go down to the planet. There's a group of women there and what happens is, is that it turns out that they actually suck the life force of the men. So of course, Kirk and the lads kind of you know cop this on, they start to age horribly, they escape and they're kind of hiding from the women. Spock, of course, being Vulcan, uh, is a but his longer lifespan, tries to go back and he alerts the crew of the Enterprise. On the Enterprise, at the same time, um, and this is of course a first in Star Trek history, Uhura decides to take command of the ship because Woo-hoo! Scotty is acting too erratically so she decides, right, that's the end of that I'm going to take over. It's really cool, it's a great moment in Star Trek history to actually have that kind of happen. So of course Uhura leads um, an away team to the surface, they locate the the missing crew members, they bring them back to the ship, and of course they're extremely old so how do you solve it? And of course it's it's actually funny, as we discuss these, we keep on bringing up other episodes of Star Trek across different seasons so what they do is on as Spock suggests, on the transporter, they'd have the original kind of scan of them from when they beam down to the planet. So the thing is, put them back through the transporter, and they'll be, you know, transported back exactly as they were. And what episode of the Next Generation does that sort of sound like to you in terms of resolution?
1: It sounds a bit like unnatural selection.
0: Correct, exactly. But in that episode, they used a bit of hair, mm-hmm. but in this, they didn't. Um. It's funny what we were saying about the, um, um, all the issues with regards colour and all that there's a scene in this episode where nurse chapel is on the planet and basically one of her sleeves is red despite the fact that her entire uniform is blue and when she's on the when she beams down to the planet with the away team there uh, she's actually all in red um as well there's a there's a couple of cool scenes in this actually because obviously with the original series most of the action always contained the old men you know men basically captain kirk and all that kind of thing and this is the first episode where, you know, I've said, you know, it's, you know, Uhura's taking command. She brings an all-female away team down to the planet. And I just love the fact that they just take no shit whatsoever. So immediately, they demand to get the hostages back. And when the, the women on the planet resist, <laughs> the female security officers just phaser them all and stun them straight out. <laughs> Very fun part that basically, they've just, you know, Uhura and, Uhura's lost patience with all these women. And there's one scene that transitions into another one and it shows one of the women just kind of lying down on the ground next to this kind of, you know, an orb type thing. Who <laughs> just blows it up with her face. Or basically they're going, tell me what the hell has happened here right now. It's absolutely hilarious. Can but I'm um, going kill you. Yeah, basically, yeah. I thought they just kind of go wrong, go right. If you're not going to tell us, we're just going to start trashing the place. Now, obviously, of course, being you know the 1970s, the eventual solution comes from a man. So there's oh, obviously right. that because you know there's no kind of getting away from that in any shape or form. Again, I I liked an episode just because it was different because you had a kind of you know, you had a couple of you had a different situation. You had the crew completely kind of you know not in control of what the hell they were doing. There's a very there's a couple of very funny scenes where oh, when everyone's getting distracted on the Enterprise. Um, oh, no, wait, hang on. That's oh, Sorry. I'm actually getting two episodes confused because the next episode <laughs> is kind of similar. So, no, I won't actually discuss that because I was about to give away something else. <gasps> um no, like in fairness, I as an episode, I really enjoyed this one. I think it's actually, it's it's smart, it's well written. Like the eventual resolution basically is that the women will be taken off the planet, rehomed onto a different planet where they'll actually be able to live out their lives as normal. Again, there's no like kind of, as, as you said with the other episode, there's no real kind of antagonist in it. They're just doing what they need to do to survive. But then when they're given a different option in terms of how to actually live out the rest of their lives, They actually can do that. Strange enough, actually, like in our episode, there is actually, this is similar to the Voyager episode, Favourite Son. Because in that episode, yeah, male visitors um, are drained by their life force by women.
1: That is, yeah, because I was only actually, funnily enough, I haven't seen that now in a long time, but I was only doing a research on Favourite Son recently because it was one of the episodes that went through reshoots.
0: Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. So now you can reference the fact that the Lorelei signal is actually a bit of of, uh, an influence on it. So, Sean, I'm going to hand it straight back over to you for your fourth pick, uh, because I have three down, so you're up with number four.
1: All right. Well, I have the introduction of the Pandronians with the episode BEM. Uh, Ah, yes. So, Commander... Mm. Arnie Ben Ben, I think it is something like that is this It's a bit like it's a bit like kind of like however you want to pronounce it you can it's one of those names like you ha- you just go at it there and he is in a word a prick yes. Now <laughs> uh no sorry to be so blunt about it so he has been basically assigned as an observation of he's an honorary commander so Starfleet assigned him to the Enterprise and you know they're doing a whole bunch of research and then they come across this planet and ben's like "Ah, oh, no 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 no! i'm going down i'm going down with you and kirk and spock and uh scotty and McCoy are a bit like all right then come on and we go they're tasked with is one of these tracking devices in these planets and away they go now ben first of all shows so Although this is not a practical joke, this came from an idea of we'll have a practical Joker on board the Enterprise, right? Yeah. The practical joke element was lost along the way, so he just comes across as mean. So he resets the transporter, for example, so they're all beaming down, but Kirk and Spock appear over water and fall. In water, like yeah. Yeah. And he also He he keeps referring to himself as this
0: one, the entire bloody
1: episode. This one has already done this. Yeah, it's a bit like, yeah, yeah, this is fun. Um, But the the twist is that it Ah. wasn't fun. This is not as much fun as the previous indicators. It 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 was not. Yes. So he also, you know, as part of his practical joke, suddenly their phases and tricorders aren't working, which you think might be sort of essential on an away mission. So, yeah, Uhura picks up life on the planet. Kirk has said, "Right, keep an open transporter link on us. Get us out of there." You know, but put the ship on yellow alert. That's all fine. Um, Bem decides, "Nah." runs straight at these strange life forms uh you yep. know disappears in a thicket of foliage and you know you can even even in animation you could nearly see kirk going off oh, for the love of <laughs> so and we but we do see the first example of them as the pandronian can split his body into several pieces yes. which is probably the most recognizable thing from this episode really um so, uh, my apologies. I said actually, sorry, it's Scotty and McCoy. Robert, so Scotty and Sulu, we're down with them. Scotty and Sulu, then they eat themselves out of there, and uh, Kirk and Spock stay because they're going to try and find them. So they Bem. do, and they find that he is being basically served for dinner for the locals. Um, and they're like, well, this could be a problem. And so what they do is they manage to sneak up to him at night and be like, right, we're here to get you out of there. And he turns around and says, well, you're ruining my observation of these people. Yeah, you know, what what are you doing? What are you do, and there is such an amazing kind of it's so self aware. Kirk turns around, so basically they're captured, right? Kirk turns to Spock and says, "How does this always happen to us?" To which Spock replies, "Fate." I'm just like, that's that's a lower decks worthy joke in the animated series, which I thought was just brilliant. Uh, so, anyway, long story medium, turns out Bem has been testing Kirk's command abilities and he fails, he flunks him. He's like, no, you're, you're impulsive, you're emotional, you're no good as a commander, and says he isn't an intelligent captain. Um, and he removed his weapons because he's so tired of seeing casual violence as the solution to, you know, any slight problem that goes on. Um, now this is all thrown out the window when the god of the you know the locals basically appears and goes well, it's wellety and what are we doing here? And them <laughs> just goes oh crap no I'm a failure I'm a failure I need to die for this. And um, Kirk negotiates with the entity. To, you know to, listen we we'll leave your people. on. it's very reminiscent in a way of the TNG episode Justice. Yes, exactly. The, yeah. the god of the Edo shows up. Yes. And they're just like, we're, we're sorry, we're gonna go, we're gonna go. Saz didn't mean to piss anybody off. We're, we're we're out here. And that's basically how Kirk saves today. It's like we we respect that we have cross boundaries. We will order a quarantine on the planet so that we will not respond. Um, and you know, they they managed to convince Ben, it's like, would you stop being such an idiot and just come back to the starship, will you? Um, and again, that's—I I love that's kind of how his character is treated in this. It's just like it's like the, the cool thing about him, Pandronians can split into three. Everything else about him, you annoying git. Um,
0: but you'd think that this is like this would be set up perfectly for lower decks, wouldn't it? Like, because you couldn't really yeah. do it like live action. You no. could easily do it in kind of the anime in, in animated series form. Like, and plus, as you said, he's an annoying bastard. Like, and you're, they're going, there's are bound to be others like him in his race that you could easily make episodes around. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Oh, the, the, there is one lovely little quote kind of finishes the episode. And it's from Spock, and you know, there's again to kind of go really heavily uh, referencing justice, and they're talking about yeah. like, this childlike planet, and Spock just goes, "Well, are we not all children in the eyes of the universe?" I was like, "Oh, no. lovely now." Yeah. So, Bem was a joke in the beginning, anyway. So, B E M stands for Bug-eyed Monster which was, you know, the kind of, you know, the whole Plan 9 from outer space, you know, the fly kind of stuff, all of that kind of classic B movie science fiction, you know, the quote-unquote bug-eyed monsters, the things that Sidney Newman, when he was commissioning Doctor Who said, please don't put bug-eyed monsters in this. Of course, early Doctor Who would beg to differ. Um, But it was written (laughs) by David Gerald, who uh, is a very huge, well, I say huge, sorry. he is he's a very influential name in Star Trek now. Unfortunately, his relationship with Star Trek was incredibly soured during the first couple of seasons of The Next Generation, which I think we might yeah. wait until we're discussing The Next Generation yeah, before we get into yeah, that. There's a lot to do there. But he wrote Trouble with Tribbles. He wrote More Tribbles, More Troubles. Um, he wrote this. So this had been a rejected episode from season one and basically when they got to season two season two is only about six episodes on but when they got to season two they were kind of like mm, we need something oh this one's good and it had gone through many many rewrites and another you know Gene Roddenberry kind of almost walking by the office one day and said I'll stick God in there will you and then continued off down to lunch and David Gerald went "Okay, if there's no place for that in this script okay boss and <laughs> then had to work God into it God now, into it again of course now, one thing that did was great about that is that God is voiced by Nichelle Nichols, which he said he really pushed for having seen her at conventions and how fans responded to the way that she spoke. Specifically, they went, everyone else step aside. If you need the voice of a God and Mich- Nichelle Nichols is on the payroll, you're doing well. So he loved how that had come across. And also this episode, again, Star Trek history, Tiberius is confirmed as Kirk's middle name in this episode.
0: Right, yes I forgot that actually.
1: So yeah in live action it wouldn't be until Star Trek 6, The Undiscovered Th- Country but yeah. it is actually said here for the first time. Mm. Uh, we get the second uh, time that Uhura is in command of the Enterprise, happens in this yes, uh, episode. That's right. And in a way, I just have my note right here it's very similar to the ending of Errand of Mercy they see a higher being says Stop leave it kind of stop it <laughs> yeah. stop your trick acting will you stop the messing stab us yeah. um now the pandronians returned in season two of lower deck lower decks is much more of a love letter to the animated series that i think a lot of people who m- might not be as familiar with the animated series realize like yeah. um i'm going to get the pronunciation wrong the ventraxian is that the that the one you were saying with with all the the octopus vendorian Vendorian. sorry um, that rocked up in a, in a cameo in uh, Lower Decks season one. We had uh, another Pandronian appeared in season two. We had, of course, poor old Spock two turns up in it. Um, yeah, it's just like, thanks, Lower Decks. And of course, the opening notes of the theme to Lower Decks are the opening notes of the theme to the animated series. Mm, there you go now. So there you go. Now, so there we go. That's my bug-eyed monster there, sir. What is your third thing? No, fourth pick. Fourth pick. Um,
0: I've picked Mod's passion because Harry Mudd is always somebody that is always fun to kind of go back to mm-hmm. and see what kind of hijinks he's been up to. When I did, when I watched this episode and I always enjoy any episode of Harry Mudd because it's just, it's good crack. I was fucking, I was shocked by some of the outdated stuff that's in this episode, oh, like dear. criminally outdated stuff that's in this episode. Basically, Enterprise comes across Harry Mudd. He is on a planet and he's trying to sell a uh, love potion to some unsuspecting miners. Um, so, of course, the miners get wise to him and the Enterprise has to rescue him. But, of course, Mudd doesn't want to be uh, arrested. So he finds a way to give uh, nurse. He cops on the nurse chapel like Spock. So he basically gives her some of the love potion. And what happens then, of course, is she tries to, you know, put it on spock doesn't work she goes back to mod mod of course manages then to you know get her captive goes down to a planet where there's these rock creatures there and um, that are basically going to kill them so it turns out then the love potion actually does work um spock starts acting quite erratically of course some of the some of the potion gets into the enterprise's uh air filter so everyone starts feeling it you know everyone starts being in love with everyone else and all that kind of thing and um But it turns out the effects are only temporary. So when Kirk and Spock go down to the planet and they basically, you know, as normal happens, of course, to fix the problem, they get back to Enterprise and Maud is arrested and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of funny scenes in this. There's a great meme from from this that you'd often see around of Kirk and Spock kind of arm in arm on the planet. And, of course, with Filmation's terrible uh, budget and how they would animate things like the two of them with their arms over each other just looks absolutely bloody hilarious. Um, the funny scene that I was going to mention in the signalling but but's not actually there, is actually here is that when they're in danger on the planet, they try to call up to the transport room to get to get off the damn planet, and it just shows a kind of a, a man and a woman on in the transport room with this horrendous elevator music kind of just dancing around. <laughs> and then McCoy is chatting up with an ensign inside in the rec room, he's there going, I saved, you know, Captain Kirk and you know, I saved Mr. Spock. He said, I've saved what everybody on this ship. And then he said, if the Enterprise had a heart, I'd save her too. And then he turns to her and says, now let's talk about your heart, my dear. <laughs> Good <laughs> oh, Lord. Geez, this is absolutely threatening huge. at all. This is so bloody. In fairness, Spock is hilarious. When Spock starts getting, you know, when he starts feeling love and he's kind of really worried about Christine, he just turns into just a complete, you know, he's totally different. He's just, he's, you know, kind of belligerent. He's short-tempered and all this kind of thing. It's bloody, it's ridiculous. But, of course, there are certain, you know, there's a lot of, as I said, outdated stuff that's kind of here, like there's, when they're talking about the love potion, how it works, it's kind of like Mud says, you know, if a man, if, like between a man and a woman, it's love, but between two people of the same sex, it's only friendship. You're going right, so we're not oh, at that stage yet. I see that. Um, and like the same then with like Chapel, you know, of course the whole episode of Centronio of you know Chapel being in love with Spock, kind of thing, and then of course how easy it is for her to kind of get captured and all that kind of basically if you want to see an updated episode of this it's ds9's fascination um it's effectively the same story whereby there's you know like you remember fascination don't you
1: i do indeed it's uh, it's not a terrible episode but it wouldn't be one of the first ones i'd be recommending to anyone but it's not a terrible episode not by any means no, it absolutely isn't. As I said, you know, from that point of view, it's a t- like I said, there's,
0: there's going to be outdated stuff and all that. But any episode of Harry Mudd is always going to be a bit of crack. It's going to be fun. It's going to just be kind of madcap comedy, really kind of more than anything else. As I said, it's worth it just for Leonard Nimoy's Spock being, a, you know, a very impatient, kind of in love kind of character, which is something we just don't see a lot of. Um, And again, as I said, just... <laughs> Sorry. i'm just looking at some of the pictures from the episode here as i'm talking it's <laughs> it's absolutely ludicrous like like there's a great line when she's trying when chapel is trying to you know um you know kind of kind of uh, you know lure spock in and she's talking about the medical report and spock is there going you know basically you're she basically doctor for exaggerating just when he goes just make sure your medical you exaggerate nurse be sure your medical report is more precise i just love this Complete Vulcan kind of put down in that situation, and there's a great line at the very end of it then as well when it says um, when Spock after the love potion wears off and they all hate her and Chapel is annoyed with Spock and Spock just says a few moments of love paid for with several hours of hatred. Oh my God! <laughs> what an ending to an episode. <laughs> Um, I'm not going to waste too much time on mod's passion because it is severely outdated. Um, so I'm going to ask you, Sean, for your last episode. Uh,
1: <laughs> what an ending. Um, okay, so uh, my last episode, is, it, funny enough, it is the last episode. So I am oh. going with the counter-clock incident for my last episode. So this is the closing episode of the animated series. It is this. also the last non-feature length ending of a Star Trek show until, although I did say earlier on Enterprise, that episode didn't happen. So maybe I, I've just shot myself in the foot here. But anyway, <laughs> yes, it's the last non-feature length one until, and I we don't talk about it. Um, this episode is crucially important for Star Trek history. It is if. a wafer thin plot. I will say that one that's already been done a couple of times in the animated series, let alone Star Trek, but in the animated series. But anyway, the the Enterprise is escorting Commodore Robert April and his wife, Mm -hmm. Sarah April, to Babel uh, for his retirement ceremony. He is now a, you know, basically fleet ambassador. And to be very honest, he doesn't want to be. He doesn't want to retire. It's 75 is the mandatory retirement age in Starfleet. And quite frankly, he does quite a bit of giving out about it. He's 75 years old. He's allowed to give out. And then basically out of nowhere, this ship starts going towards him. Now, this episode, I'm going to say it right now, there's ridiculous stuff goes on in this episode. A ship is traveling at warp 36. <laughs> the fact that they were able to detect it is absolutely <laughs> insane. But anyway, now remember now, this is at in the old scale. This is definitely the old scale of warp, not salamander speed. Um, so they were, the, basically the Enterprise was kind of doing a bit of a scenic route to the Beta Naomi supernova to yep. you know, kind of show them because it looks nice and the next thing this thing is walking by and so they say right well let's tractor beam that thing and then it drops to a paltry warp 32 um, <laughs> and uh, the pilot <laughs> of the ship sends them a message in an unintelligible language uh, but they could tell she doesn't sound very happy now they ask what can you do for us so Ahura uh, goes oh, hang on and they play it backwards and it is in universal language and it basically get your bloody tractor beam off my ship you, you knaves, yes. you dogs. And so they try, but the thing is, traveling too fast. They can't, they're actually stuck. And uh, the wonderful Arix, who actually both of us have forgotten to mention up until now, the three armed yep. not Chekov, um, has been, you know, basically turns around and says, Oh, you know, uh, lads, we're kind of hitting warp 20. Um, you know, to which I think there is literally a scene of Scotty just going, And frankly, it baffles me as well. I mean, how the engines haven't ripped off, nobody really knows. Blah, <laughs> blah, blah. And we're
0: never going to deal with that in any shape or form.
1: We're just not even remotely. It. No bloody hell. The pylons on this ship, whatever you make them out of, make the rest of your fleet out of that. And the Borg wouldn't have a chance. Um, they get so basically they're all like, we're about to get sucked into a supernova. This is this is dreadful. Like, what are we going to do? And so they do, and then they find out that they're in basically negative space, mm-hmm. and you know the black of space is now white. The white stars are now black which was a handy way if the animation team gone like, just flip that around. Yeah, sound. Um, and so everything is moving backwards so that when it turns out to be Carla Five hails them again and says, you nearly killed me, you knaves, you dogs. They were like, oh, we can understand you now because it turns out that everything, including their own brain chemistry, has started to run backwards. Yep. Now it's Spock who goes, we might have a bit of an issue here. And the first, the first instance of this is that Sarah April had been wearing a flower on her lapel, which is a Capellan flower that only has a lifespan of a few hours. And it's suddenly gone from withering to full bloom. And this is our first kind of clue. They beam down to Carla Fives' son's laboratory and they're like, you have a random baby in a crib. Okay, that's fine. She's like, no, no, that's my dad. And my son is this old fella over here. And they're like, <laughs> oh, I see. So everyone ages backwards. And that's when the kind of the light bulb moment is like, ha, oh, no. Oh, dear. Because, well, if the flowers already, so already, hang on, does that mean that we're all going to start aging backwards? Which, of course, is exactly what I mean. They cannot remain in this space. Yep. They need to get out of there. So because they're all going to start, not only of course they're going to get younger, but they're going to start undoing, they see a lot of their life, they're going to start forgetting. So, you know, an, an example of this is their. They talked to Carla Five, they, they agree that Carla Five's ship can get them out of here. They have to go and look for they got in because the birth of a star in Carla Five's universe is it's a, a in our, Yeah, in. Exactly. So yeah. So they're like, Well, crap, we can't get back out the way we came in because that's not a dead star anymore. That's a living star. We have to find something else. So they do, they get a map and they sit the map on top of it. And they go like, right, boom, we're gonna head to that one. So, but they're like, Grand, it's gonna take. It's going to take a while and we're still de-aging. So Carlo Five's ship is going to track to them. So then it becomes a race against time, lol. Um, and we start to see Sulu is the first one to kind of, obviously because he forgets how to use the, his controls. Then Uhura forgets how to use the controls. Uh, then you have like Aric starts to get really young, which is the cutest thing ever. And, you know, Spock is able to stay Corpus Mentis for longer because Vulcans age slower. But it becomes very apparent very quickly that the su- completely superfluous characters up to this point of Robert and Sarah April, they were in their seventies, which means they have that much more time. So they have de-aged down to roughly where Kirk and well, not Spock, but where Kirk and the rest of the crew were in the beginning of the episode. And uh, there is a, a a great scene where you know Robert April goes to K- Spock. I hate to pull rank, but <laughs> let me handle this because you're getting too young and then of course it's memes forever is that there's all the crew as children and sarah's looking yeah. after them and everything uh, anyway as we always do they get into the normal space and then we have what i think is an annoying end to the episode but i see what they were going for but first of all there's the undo button so and again it's the bloody transport it's the exact same thing yeah. again it's like ah stick them through they're fine and then robert april and sarah choose to go through as well which I thought was just like, eh, eh, eh. And they make this lovely speech about, I lived a life well done. I wouldn't change a single second. I was like, yeah, Grant, but you could live more. <laughs> I mean, this is not Logan's run, you know? And they kind right. of try and do that, but like, oh, Starfleet said that you actually don't have to retire right now. You're okay. You're okay. Um, yeah. So, so that's kind of how they get around that, which I also like, you know, yeah, I get you need to make Kirk an adult again, but did you really need to make Robert April an outflow again? So that's the episode. Now, there is... So you're kind of going, Sean, how could this possibly be as important? That's not particularly important at all. Robert April is one of the great unseen characters of Star Trek because in Gene Roddenberry's initial pitch for Star Trek, this is the menagerie which became the cage, which then, of course, became the menagerie. Robert April was the commander of the USS Enterprise, and it said here in this episode that he observed the ship being built in San Francisco Naval yep. Shipyards, you know, which is, by the way, yep. that's where the Enterprise was built. You know, right, we yeah. get it in this episode. Yeah. Sarah April, in fact, this is a continuity issue. So Sarah April apparently created an awful lot of the medical devices that Dr. McCoy uses on the daily because she said, well, I served on the first warp-capable ship. Oh, really? Tell that to the Bonaventure. Which, of course, is mentioned in uh, Time Trap. Indeed it was. So that was a bit of a, someone didn't do their research. But anyway. um, And, and it
0: the, was great then to see that Robert April's name was in the episode of Discovery, Choose Your Pain, when yes. Saru asks to give a list of all the decorated captains and of course you know matt decker's name is there as well but robert april's name is there which is really kind of cool for years as well in the star trek encyclopedia if you looked up robert april it was a picture of gene roddenberry in yes, an original series yeah.
1: uniform yeah there is there's another image of it. now it's funny because it's deliberately blurred because it's from a novel uh the name escapes me but there is it's the story of robert april and there is amorphous blob with a kind of 70s hairstyle on the back cover and there's no face and oh it's Robert April (laughs) sure (laughs) Um, but we actually have to say plug ourselves a little bit I wrote an article there is barely any info for a character who's as old as Robert April there really is barely any information he's not really been expanded on other than he was the first commander of the Enterprise so basically one of the reasons well I picked this cuz the last episode but cuz Robert April I feel it would make perfect sense but strange new worlds here is an yep. enormous character where you effectively you have carte blanche to do whatever you want we don't know yep. how he retired okay yes this says that he went and well he's not retired that's the whole thing at 75 he shoots back out into the universe again so um and also continuity the flower on sarah's lapel is a capellan flower from Capella Four from the episode Friday's child there you go
0: now. And the Capellan Power Cat was referenced in the previous episode, How Sharper Than a Serpent's Tooth.
1: Badoom. Oh. So, yes. So, it's the one criticism I really have about this is just it, there is no feeling of the show ending. No. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it doesn't feel like a season or series finale at all. So, it does a little bit feels like a bit of a, Anti climax. I really like the episode, but it could have fallen anywhere in the run of exactly. the animated yeah. series. Yeah. Um, and that is that, that, those are my five. So, show, take us home. What is your fifth episode?
0: I'm trying to find my pen because I was going to write down a note of something you said there, and I've lost the pen. This is the second time I've lost the pen today. Um, and okay. my last episode, I actually nearly didn't pick this. And it was only when I look back at it again, I was like, oh no, I'm definitely going to pick that. It's called Albatross. Um okay. and it's one episode that I only it was weird for years. I only saw about like halfway through it, and I opened it. It's the first scene I saw was Spock breaking McCoy out of jail. And I was there going, What the hell is going on here? So this is really cool. So basically the enterprise um it's a Dramia. Um, there's a new kind of agreement being made between the Dramians and the Federation and all that kind of thing. But it turns out that they want to arrest and try Dr. McCoy because apparently he unleashed a plague 19 years previously, which was obviously a bit of a shocking thing. Unfortunately, the warrant and everything is in order. So that means he has to be arrested. So, of course, what happens is they decide they're going to investigate it. I think it's Dramia 2, I think, or Jeepers. Sorry, it's... Drania two is where the population was wiped out. So of course the enterprise has to investigate yeah. and find out what's going on before um, McCoy is quickly you know, punished for the crimes and all that kind of thing. Of course, it turns out McCoy is not responsible for it and things like of that. Course. But what's happening is the plague uh, from all those years ago is now inf- has now infected the enterprise itself. So they have to try and actually get, um, they have to break the break McCoy out of jail because it affects everybody on the ship except for Spock, of course. But Spock course. isn't one who can actually, you know, find out what the actual cure is without breaking McCoy out of jail. So, of course, he, I actually, it's kind of cool in a way because one, you've got Spock performing a jailbreak, which is something you absolutely would not normally see. But again, it's the moral principle of it as well that McCoy is kind of adamant, no, he said, I'm going to stand trial. They're going. You can't. Um, you can't just break me out. I need to find out what the answer is. And then it's Sp- Spock. Is basically yeah. going. Yeah, don't worry. You will stand trial. <laughs> there is no <laughs> concern there. But you've got to help the bloody ship here. It's very funny. In one part of the episode, when they're when the Enterprise is going to Dramia two uh, to investigate what happened all those years ago because uh, it's been decimated, a uh, kind of a, one of the investigators uh, from Dramia follows them. <laughs> He's just flying behind the Enterprise, and then they're there going, right, we need to kind of, you know, we have to get this guy on board so we can, you know, kind of basically trap him, and then, you know, he won't be following us. So they just open the doors of the shuttle bay, which is the first time we see this, and we don't see it again until Star Trek Five, of course, the shuttle bay doors opening. Oh, wait, we do. In Journey to Babel. Forget I said that. And what happens is that... Uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, was it but, Journey to Babel original or Journey to Babel reimagined or remastered? Sorry, not reimagined. I,
0: I honestly god, I haven't seen I haven't seen the original Journey to Babel in bloody years. So I've completely actually forgotten it. But of course, the, like as would normally if you're pursuing a ship, they'd mysteriously just randomly open their shuttle bay doors and let you just, you know, fly your shuttle just straight into yeah. the into the shuttle bay like I mean, it's, just, it's just ludicrous stuff like. Um, I just thought it was it was it, when they go to Dremia 2, it's cool because it's a completely desolated world. Has, because again, we especially with you know the original series, and the animated series, seeing other planets, seeing other races, it's really kind of cool. It's cool to see this place has been totally decimated. And then the question is like, was Dr. McCoy actually responsible for you know what has happened, things like that? Um Again, like there's not a whole lot of you know historical significance in it. I just think it's fun. I just like the fact that you've got a situation where a Starfleet officer has been, you know, basically accused of effective effective genocide. And that's you know, in I again I like what I said to you that I like the logic behind of you know McCoy demanding to stay and be tried and Spock saying, Look, that's all gonna happen there as well. And again, it's a kind of a, it's a Dr. McCoy episode. We don't get a whole lot of them because by and large, obviously it's gonna be Kirk and Spock. And things like that. So, I know it's a bit of a downer for our final episode. I don't really have a whole lot to discuss about that, but trust me, it's just a bloody good episode. If you get a chance to watch it, do sit down. The design of the Draymans is actually really cool as well. I really do kind of enjoy it. And actually, the very last thing, the last line in the episode is again a bit of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy banter. McCoy says to Kirk He says Jim if I'm ever in jail again Don't send that Vulcan To re- release me Just let me rot <laughs> Good God And it's such a
1: McCoy line Yes That is such a McCoy line um, Sean like That is gas I'm,
0: Okay I was going to ask you Very quickly What In the series Because we discussed At the end of all our episodes What in the series Is the one thing That you enjoyed most About the series You forgot to do it again Didn't
1: you I didn't, but my, oh I've already my given my answer God. three or four times. I've given it away. It's got to be the Enterprise is riding a D7. <laughs> the only <laughs> thing missing is reins. Giddy up. Giddy up, Klingons. <laughs> no, definitely. Sorry. And it, it, it is the image that's stayed with me from childhood. It's still with me now. I love that image. What exactly is it about that image you find so perplexing? Ships don't ride ships.
0: What about the Enterprise and Columbia in the episode of of Enterprise where they're connected with the the cord between them that
1: trip has to go down? They were only trying to recreate that beautiful scene from the the animated series. And, you know, it was good. It was cool. But what about you? What about you? Do you have a slightly more serious answer? Although that is a deadly serious answer. But do you have a slightly more serious answer to that question? Yes. Um, In... (laughs) In
0: it's not going to be as good as the D Seven being ridden by the Enterprise. Thank you. In yesteryear, at the end, when um Spock's pet um, is basically on the verge of death, uh, older Spock goes to get a healer to come out and uh basically see if you can, you know, heal him. He can't. It's it's the 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 injuries are too much. So basically, young Spock has to make the decision of whether or not uh, you know basically let him die or What's he going to do? So, young Spock decides the decision is you know we're going to let him die. It, it, you know it's fitting he dies with dignity. And then older Spock, it's a brilliant line and it's a really good line. And it says loss you know loss of death or sorry loss of death. Jesus Christ, De- you know loss of person is to be mourned if the person you know if, if basically if the person has lived a long life and basically he has. And I always think that's a cool line. To kind of end something, because like you're dealing with a kids' show, dealing with the death of a pet, and I just think it's re- it was just so it was handled so well, and the and the line from Spark about you know loss of life is to be mourned, but only if the life was wasted, is such a good line to kind of you know finish up with.
1: I like yeah, I mean like it's just kind of it's taking... good, but it's not d seven being written <laughs> by the yeah. Listen, like you know, there's I mean, we were never going to top that one. Top it like a D seven. <laughs> um... <laughs> But, uh, my God, but it is, it's, again, it's kind of just quintessential. These are big ideas in Trek, whether it's, you know, ships can have babies or, you know, the the merits of, you know, a life lived. Um, yeah. yeah. I total, like, totally. The same. I will, so, Sean, yeah. go on. You know, I think I was about to preempt if you were about to ask, so am I a convert to the anime series? The answer show is no, I'm afraid. Yeah. I, I'm not a convert. But... One thing I have, I, I said it before we started recording, and I'll say it again, is that it's worth a watch. I definitely say it's like, it, I don't think it should be skipped. Like if you're doing a watch of Star Trek, I think there is enough merit in it that it's absolutely worth a watch. It's not one I would rush to revisit. Yes. Um, the Things like Yesteryear, I think they stand out. And counterclock yeah. for me, like they, they tick all these boxes for my inner Trekkie. But for example, Infinite Falcon, that was funny. I've seen that now bit bit like that um and my my damning praise that I will give it is that there's too many episodes and they could have made a shorter set of episodes better I think it was a bit stretched and that's my I, I, I like that we got an animated series because it was the animated series along with the conventions that kept Star Trek alive with syndication, obviously, that kept Star Trek alive until like, it was a long time between Turnabout Intruder and the motion picture. I mean, oh, like, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And I think now I, you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that between Counterclock and the motion picture is still the biggest gap between. A Star Trek finishing and another Star Trek happening. I think because Enterprise, you had 2005 to 2009. So that's only four years. Yeah. Um, Whereas this, I think, is, you say this is 73, 74. Yeah. 73, 74. Five five years. Yeah. So because we had. No, hang
0: on. Oh, sorry. Yes, you're right. Yes, 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 yes.
1: Yeah, because then we had the movies going, which brought us into next gen. And then we had. Into Darkness and Beyond, I think we're three years apart. No, maybe four years apart. And then Beyond Discovery are only two years apart.
0: So, yeah, Yeah. I
1: think this is the single biggest drought of Star Trek that we ever went through. Um, And I remember as well, it was it was a rough time. Um, (laughs) But I am glad that it existed. You know, I'm glad that we had it. There are some big ideas which have come back in Star Trek again and again. We have The Forge. We have, uh, now I know the, his pet Settlet was in Journey to Babel, but Richie got him in yeah. the animated series. The Return of the Guardian of Forever. Yeah. Robert April makes an appearance on screen. There are big moments in the animated series. I think if I was to be very fair, that if I was a new viewer of Star Trek and someone said to me, oh, have you watch the animated series, this is not the one that would jump to my mind.
0: Uh, no this is very much a nostalgia driven one like for me it's I I loved it from being a kid because I was you know like there wasn't a whole lot of Star Trek out there so I was delighted to kind of you know eat the episodes alive but just like you I'd find this hard to recommend to anybody um especially new people who'd be coming to it I think it'd be ve- a very hard sell I said there's good ideas yeah, the animation let it down and like some of the pacing's off and all I can of think but again Everyone has, you know, their own kind of opinions of it. I bloody love it. I'll always love it, despite all its ridiculous flaws. But as I said this one is just is, is one I love going back to now and again. Hmm. And any research I do in it, I, I always enjoy kind of getting back to it as much as I humanly can. Thank so, Sean, you. without further ado, that is it for the animated series. Next up, we'll be potentially looking at the movies. And we'll see how we get on with those. In fairness, of course, we're both going to pick Star Trek Nemesis
1: and Star Trek Five in our list, of course. Oh, I'm so taken on Five. I am taken on Five. I'm saying that right now. Spoiler alert Five is the great unsung hero of the Star Trek films. Show, show, show has left the chat. Okay, right.
0: But you're yeah. good. I'm gone. So, Sean. Thank you very much for coming on board again with us. So guys, thanks very much for listening. And we will talk to you next time. Thanks very much, guys. Bye. Bye.